Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. Morning, welcome to Calvary, and today is a special day for all of our moms in the room, and we so glad that you've joined us today. Would you do me a favor? If you're one of the moms uh, gathered with us in the room, um, and if you're online with us, you can kind of wave at the TV. Would you just stand? All the moms, we have a special gift for you. So all the moms, would you stand? We have some special delivery people here that want to give you a gift to say Happy Mother's Day. Aren't these great delivery people? Fantastic. Yeah. You can give her another one. That's fine. She can have two. <laughs> Whether you're with us in person, we hope you have, if you'll remain standing, ladies, we want to uh, pray for you in just a moment. Thank you guys for doing that. Give them a hand. What a great job. You all did fantastic. Moms, thank you for being here today, and I hope you feel honored, and uh, thank you for what you have done and what you continue to do with kids, grandkids. We're just so thankful for you, and you being here today is an important thing, that you are continuing to learn and to grow in the Lord, and so thank you for that. Uh, for all of us in the audience, we just give our moms a hand this morning as we thank them for what they've done. They're, they've got so much that they got to do. It's great. Come on in. That's fantastic. So I want to pray for you moms as we continue our service, and uh, just pray that you have a very special day. So would you join with me in prayer today for all the moms in the room? Father, thank you for this day, and thank you for uh, giving us the opportunity just to, to uh, honor these these mothers and uh, these that are standing here before me, those that are watching us online, thank you for calling them as moms, giving them this gift of motherhood. And I pray, Father, that you continue to, to grow in their lives, that they can continue to know you better. And, and Lord, just in everything that they do, that truly they'll know what it means to honor you. So, Lord, we're so grateful that we're in this place today, looking forward to what we're going to learn and we're going to grow from. And I pray that everything that's done bring, bring glory to Jesus. We let, thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, moms. You may be seated. Again, thank you for being here, all of you. Moms are not in our service, joining us online. We're continuing today, actually, our second week of a series entitled Transformed. And we're looking through the last five chapters of the book of Romans. Uh, and it's been kind of a journey that we're, re- we're picking up again. And we're going to be wrapping up the book of Romans with this particular word. And we're going to get into that in a minute. But I kind of want to segue from there, uh, talking, let's go back to moms for a minute. Okay. Um, recently, something was brought to my attention about um, sayings that moms have uh, traditionally said over the years. Uh, some people refer to them as momisms. Okay. By definition, a momism is a famous phrase that moms are known for saying, um, and you guys can admit or not that you have said these things because at some point, all of you also said, I'll never say that when I have kids, right? So here's a few of them, top 10, but there's hundreds of them. Here's just a, a few that I thought maybe you remember. Here's number one, why? Because I said so, that's why, all right? <laughs> Every mom's shaking their head. Uh, I'm going to give you to the count of three. One, two, as if we don't know what's coming next, right? So that give you to the count of three. Uh, the next one, it's all fun and games until somebody gets hurt. Or in my wife's case, then it's hilarious when somebody gets hurt, right? That's just how she adds to that. Um, the, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Really? Yeah, I don't think so. Okay, the next one, I like this one. Beds are not made to be jumping on. Sure they are. That's why they're made. That's why they they can bounce. They're exactly what they're for, right? Uh, This is one of my favorites. Always wear clean underwear in case you're in an accident. Not if you have an accident, if you are in an accident, right? The whole whole point. Um, If you keep making that face, it'll freeze that way. Um, This is the one my mom always said, you will always be my baby. Uh, She said that, and I was the baby, and I got that. Although she said that to all five of us, so I'm not sure if my mom was really knew what she was talking about, but that was the one. Here's one, moms. When you have kids, I hope they act just like you. All right? Every mom's shaking your head, right? Last one. If all your friends jumped off a bridge, would you? Right? You've said something to that degree. Okay, so here's what I want to talk about that last one just for a second. If all your friends jumped off a bridge... Okay, now that's a, that's a very important mom phrase, sarcastically getting the point of don't, don't buy into peer pressure. Be careful of who you're listening to. 
You know, there's a biblical phrase for that, and we're going to talk about that this morning as we go back to Romans chapter 12. And it simply says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not conform. Now, all of us as parents, moms and dads, we, we hope that uh, our kids choose good friends because we know that they're going to be heavily influenced. They're going to be impacted. They're going to, there are going to be a lot of times when they're going to want to be like their friends or they're going to want to please their friends. And, and so that, that circle makes a lot of difference. And then we, we also pray that when their friends do make some bad choices, that they have the strength to not conform to stand up and, and to do something different. We all, we all hope that in, in our lives about something within our kids. Here's what I want to, what the scriptures helps us understand is that God, as our, our father, knows that all of us have that tendency. We have this tendency to conform. And, we, and he knows, and it doesn't stop when you turn 18. It doesn't stop in your 20s something that goes on through our lives, and he, he knows the tendency. Here's what we know about God. He knows what's best for us. He knows how we're wired. He made us, and he knows what the best intention that he has for us, but it, what we, and he also even gives us the ability to do that as his children, but he knows that we're going to have to make some decisions for that to happen, and it goes a lot deeper than just some buddies hanging around saying, hey, jump off this bridge. It's deeper than that. It goes into every area of our life, and it comes back to this idea of do not conform. And we're going to need to be aware of that in our lives. We're going to need to have some tools to be able to address that at some point in our lives. So here's how God, how God gives us the, the plan he has for us. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. And those are the two phrases that we're going to look at even a little deeper. That He said there is a different way of doing life. There is a new way. To be transformed is the word that God uses. And it's, it's an interesting thought. We've talked to Romans chapter 1 through 11, bringing up to this part of the journey. Um, and chapters 1 through 11 were very, very strategic, very important about doctrine, things that we need to believe, make sure that we know. And, but chapters 12 through 16 now is, what do we do with what we know? Because I read this quote this week, I thought it was very important, that all, that all true theology is practical, and all practice is ultimately theological. In case you're wondering what that means, it basically says that, that whatever you believe, you're going to do. And the things that you're doing ultimately go back to your beliefs. That's why it's so important that Romans 1 through 11 tells us these are the things we need to know and believe. Now chapters 12 through 16, now here's what we do with it. Here's how we put that into our daily lives, our daily existence. And, and here's what we remember. God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. He knows what's best, and chapters 12 through 16 help us to, to see this new life coming as real in our lives. So back to Romans chapter 12. Let's start again where we were last week, verse 1 and 2. Verse 1, Paul writes, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And then verse number two, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Before we go on, just look at that last phrase, God's will. The, the idea of, of God, what God wants in our lives Sometimes I, I, you, we think about God's will as I've got a decision to make and I want to know God's will. That's, that's important, but I think it takes it deeper than that. It's just what God's plan, what God's design, what God knows is best, his plan, his will. And, and sometimes in our culture, it gets a little bad rap because God's will is seen as boring and or stifling, like, oh, he's just taking all my fun away. Or maybe it's irrelevant, it's out of date, it's old-fashioned, it just doesn't really fit. And that's, God's will is painted with those strokes. But did you see the description? God's will is good. It's pleasing. It's perfect. 
He knows you. He knows what's best for you. And knowing what that will is, is the very best thing for your life. And that's the goal that we're coming to at the end of this verse. That's it. Knowing God's will for us and and living in that will. But how do we get there? And the first part of these verses help us do that. So we kind of introduced these phrases last week. I want to unpack them a little bit further today. Let's go back and look at the first one. Do not conform to the pattern of this word, that world, this, that word, that, that phrase, do not conform. It's it, obviously, it's a command. It's, it's actually emphatic. Uh, some would say that he actually is saying, stop conforming. So probably the Romans were having, Roman Christians were having some issues with this conforming to the pattern of this world. He says, stop it. This isn't the way that you were supposed to live. The root word of that phrase, conforming to the pattern of this world, is, is a word we, is schema, which we get our English word scheme from. It means fashion or pattern or it's something that is, is made into, to look like something. By definition, it's the outward expression of something that doesn't necessarily reflect what's truly inside. It's a scheme. It's a, it's a, it's a fashion. It's a pattern. Uh, it was also used about um, something for masquerading or a costume, something that's put on so, that, so, so you see what you see is not necessarily what you get. It's not necessarily what's on the inside. It's something that follows a prescribed scheme or plan or pattern, right? It's that, that's what this word has to do. So what we understand, it's, it's transitory. It's not permanent. It's not going to last. It's, it's changeable. It's not very stable. It's not because it, it's, it's something that is just put on for the particular season. And here's something we're going to see throughout this, a couple times throughout this, uh, this talk today, and that is the tense of this verb, it's actually, it's called a passive imperative. Now, what that simply means is imperative means, yes, you should do it, but the idea of passive means that it's something that's done to you. He says, do not allow yourself to be conformed, is the way that he's saying. Give you an idea what we're talking about. If you're, dry, you're in a car, and if you're behind the wheel and you're pushing the gas, you've got your hands on the you're driving, you're active. But if you're in the same car, but you're in the passenger seat, you're taking the same trip, but you're passive, right? It's either active or passive, sitting. What he's saying is that th- we are not to be conformed. We're not to let, in other words, do not let the world around you um, be, be the thing that forces you or become a, a victim, if you would, of the world's philosophy. Don't let that, you don't have to. Do not conform. Do not let that be done to your life. Let me give you this translation. I thought it was powerful. Philip said it this way. Stop being poured into the mold by the external and fleeting fashions of this age. Do not conform. Don't, don't be poured into the mold. Now, I can get all over that from my childhood with a little example of this, Play-Doh, right? How many remember Play-Doh? How many still use play You don't have to tell that. Just be honest. It's, what better way to do a sermon than to play with Play-Doh, right? Something we take, and it's, it's moldable, and you take whatever the shapes are, and you fat the fashion, and you take it, and you come up with these great works of art, right? But they're also very transitory. They don't, they don't last. What he's saying is, do not let the world shape you into its mold. Don't allow you, do not conform, do not be shaped into that, that mold. The philosophy wants to shape you. This is what you do. This is what's most important. This is how you do it. These are the ways in which you're supposed to think. And what they're doing is they're trying to shape you into that mold. The pattern of this world, don't be, do not be conformed to the pattern. What does that look like? I'll give me a couple words. One that comes to my mind is the influence the things that are kind of pushing around you that are saying this is, this is the way, whether it's how to deal with money, how to deal with materialism, I, I need, I want more, how to do with, with people and relationships, how to do with control and, and being accepted or being, being liked or being popular or uh, having power. All of those are influences and whether we're seeing those from, from media or from our other friends or whatever it is that's coming around us, it's influencing us. That's the pattern of this world. Do not let that shape you into its mold. This is, this is what's pleasurable. This is what you need to, to really enjoy life, and it's, a, it's something pressing you into a mold that you do not have to be a part of. You do not have to allow that to be something that controls you. First John puts it this way, do not love the world or anything in the world. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, 
comes not from the Father, but from the world. And look at his description. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the, look at this, will of God lasts forever. There's our word again. We're wanting to come to God's will. Everything in this world, it's, it's moldable. It's something that will not last. But God's plan, God's will is, goes beyond this life. It's, it actually lasts forever. So influences. Uh, I would also use the word lies. The things you hear about who God is about what God thinks, about even who you are and, and what he thinks about you and, and your, your station with him. Here's what you got to understand. We, we've got this moldable thing around us that it's truly Satan is the father of lies. So he's going to try to put you into a mold, something that is actually not true. But here are some truths that you should know. If you're a follower of Christ, you're a, you're a child of his, that's who you are. You are a child of the king. Your sins are forgiven. You've been bought now and forever. You have the resurrection power, the, the power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you in the form of the Holy Spirit. That's the truth. That's who you are. But the world and the enemy wants you to believe other things, and they're trying to shape you into their mold by, by, those, by those truths. And he says, do not be conformed. Don't let those philosophies shape what you truly believe and what you truly think. Here, here's what we know, that word being something like a costume. There are some people who profess to be followers of Christ, and they actually, in a sense, wear a mask to say, I am a Christian, and, and they truly aren't. They have not yet received that gift. And some of them, it's deliberate. They're just putting on an act. Some of them are deceived. They, they really have been convinced otherwise. But either way, they're masquerading. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about believers who are wearing a mask, trying to show themselves to be something that they truly are not. There, there, there are Christians trying to fit in with the philosophy of the world so they don't stick out. They love the new life, but they want to have new life incognito. They want to have new life without others actually seeing that. So they don't kind of stand out. They don't, we don't stick out in, in the crowd. We, don't, we want to live, we're going to, we want a new life, but we're going to live according to the world's priorities or the world's fashions or the world's uh, vocabulary or their entertainment or their attitudes. Even if it's way lower than the standard of God, but we, we just, we want to fit in. We want to live, and he's saying, that's not you, Christian. Stop it. Do not conform. Don't be less than you truly are through Jesus Christ. Listen to this translation. Stop assuming an outward expression that does not come from within you and is not representative of what you are in your inner being, but is patterned after this age. In other words, when you act like that, that's not who you are if you're a follower of Christ. Stop it. Do not conform. Do, don't put on something that you're truly not. There is something different within you as a child of God. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Here's the positive, but be transformed. We, we talked about that word last week, about being transformers, right? And transformers, the, the, the idea is that word metamorphosis, change, tadpole to frog you know, caterpillar to butterfly, that whole, that, that changing, right? And the, and the key, the middle word in this is the word morph. And, and it, what the morph is, the difference is we have this, this scheme, in the other words, of conforming to a pattern, and, and that's something that's changeable. Some, but this morph is the essence. This is who you really are. For, for instance, my scheme of my life has changed from when I was seven to when I was 17 to when I was... 20-something to when I am, you know, something now, right? We, it changes. I, my, my look changes. My, my adi- my, things are, these things change. Things change, but, but who I am is still the same. Another example. Last night, I got the privilege to go to a beautiful wedding ceremony. I was in this, at this wedding ceremony. Some of the participants, and no names mentioned because some of them might be in this room, but I've not seen some of those participants honestly in life without a T-shirt and jeans. That's just the way they do life. And last night, tuxedos and bow ties. It was phenomenal, right? What, what a change. Here's the thing. T-shirt and jeans, bow ties, the scheme is different. The person is still the same. The person, the morph is still the same. It's what's inside. So what Jesus is, what we're learning here, what Paul is telling us about what Jesus is saying is when you're a Christian, that the inward 
there's an inward change that he's making in your life. He's changing your morph. He's truly changing who you are from the inside. And as you mature in your faith, that change begins to happen. But here's what he wants you to know. As that change happens, it's not going to be something that is kept inside. Look at this. As we saw in the Phillips, he said, stop pouring into the mold of the external, but undergo a deep interchange by the qualitative renewing of your mind. What is he saying? He's saying that that change won't stay inside of you. If you're truly being changed, it won't stay. In, it, it'll eventually, it's going to become something that's visible. It's something that's going to, this, out, this inward change is going to become an outward reflection. Something is going to be seen. It's going to reflect the inward reality. There's another word used in the New Testament in reference to Jesus that may help us help you understand what I'm trying to get at. In Matthew chapter 17, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. They go up on a high mountain, just the four of them. And while they're up here, look what happens in verse 2. There he, that's Jesus, was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. That word transfigured is the same word as transformed. It's the word metamorph, where we get our word metamorphosis from. What we have here, whether you've read this story or not, is in this time, these three men were able to witness for just a brief moment, if you would, the kind of the unveiling of the real morph of who Jesus was, that inside Jesus, he is God. And as it, it was able to open up, the, the words described that he shone like the sun. His clothes were the whitest white that you've ever seen. They just got a glimpse of who Jesus was. He was transfigured before them. Now take that word and apply it to what God says our lives, we're to be transfigured, transformed. That change within us should be something that shines to the world outside of us to make that kind of difference. Should be that kind of a, a noticeable difference in our lives. That's God's plan for us. This other version that we read talks about don't let the outward expression uh, that's not representative. He goes on to say, change your outward expression to one that comes from within and is representative of your inner being. Make sure your inner change is visible to the world around you. And that's why this is so important. God is saying, I'm doing a work in you, but now I'm engaging you. And this is your part. This is what you're to do. So how do we get there? How do we stop conforming and start transforming. What is it the part that God has for us? And notice the next phrase, we do this by the renewing of your mind. We talk about renewing your mind. Like we said, that word renewal, it's bigger than just kind of remodeling. We're talking nothing short of a, of a mental revolution. Because of all that we've been before Jesus and even the influences around us and, and our old nature that's constantly battling against us, we're going to have to go against the things that want to say, do this. It's going to be a, our, our brains are going to have, a, have to have a revolution to do what only God can do in our lives. Renewing of your mind is letting God change, change morph the change inside until it ultimately becomes something that's seen on the outside. Here's how Paul put it in Ephesians 4. He said to them, I urge you, in fact, I, I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live like the Gentiles do. What he's saying is your, your life shouldn't be the same as it was before Jesus. Gentiles simply means those without Christ yet. And look at the last phrase, how he describes them. In the futility of their what? Thinking. Their, their minds are not right, spiritually speaking. And because of that, their mind's not being right, their thinking's not correct, the next several verses, he describes how that affects their behavior. Their thinking is wrong, and so they, they're involved in those next verses, all the things that, that resemble what it means to be without Jesus. He says that you shouldn't be acting like that because they're just going by their bad thinking. Look at verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, the way you were before Jesus, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He said, Dear, you're different now. There's God's doing a work in you if you're one of his kids. And so our goal is to put off the old, do not conform, 
to let your minds be renewed, change the thinking, and in the process, you put on the new. Your, your life begins to resemble the holiness that God has for you. That's God's plan for his children. That's what it means in renewing our minds. So let's talk about the renewal for a minute. Here's what, I've, what we're learning about renewal, this renewing your mind. Number one, renewing is a process. We mentioned a little bit last week, but let's, let's start on this again. It's an ongoing. In fact, I'll tell you, it's a lifelong process. From the moment that you receive Christ, this transformation, uh, the, the theological term for it is your sanctification. It's an ongoing process in your life from, from your new birth until the time you you're, see Jesus face to face. 2 Corinthians 3, and we're going to look at this verse several times throughout the next couple minutes. It says this, and we all, that's all who are in Christ, are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory. Circle being, you are being transformed. It's a process in your life, step by step, day by day, piece by piece. You're being changed. You're, you're being morphed from the inside, God is, is telling us. So what does that tell us? You never stop growing as a follower of Christ. You're never going to stop growing or changing. You're never going to completely mature in this life. But that tells me also that God's not finished with you yet. God's still, you say, got some issues. They got some rough spots. God's still working, and he promises he will finish you. He will complete the work that he started. So it's always growing. And also what I, I learned from this is God's goal is progress, not perfection. You are going to have some days when you make mistakes, and you're going to, to have some times when God forgives and starts you over. It's, it's not about, I don't do it perfectly, but am I growing? Is God changing me? Yes, you're being transformed. It's an ongoing, lifelong process. But I also would tell you this, it's also an intentional process. The fact that God engages us in this, do not be conformed, but be transformed, shows that this is not an uh, automatic event in our life. Yes, when we get saved, the Spirit moves in and begins to change the orientation of our thinking, but these verse makes it very clear that, that our thinking does not instantaneously change. It is in a process, and there's part that we have to do. Here's what scientists tell us, and you can, you can study the research yourself, but basically they describe our brains as having these, these neuron ruts, if you would. And those ruts are caused by the things that you, you contemplate, you think about, and you do them, and the actions and the repeated thoughts build these ruts. I think of them kind of like with our computer. You, you have cookies, right? The cookies in your computer are the things that you use them enough so that when you bring that back up again, it comes quicker. It comes right to the surface. And in our brains, these ruts cause the things we do. That, so that's why habits are, are so hard to break because we've made ruts from the things we do and we think. So what we're talking about renewing our mind is digging some new trenches, transforming our brains to be thinking a different direction. And what our part in this is we've got to let the Spirit of God, we've got to let His control, we let Him reprogram our thinking, responding to His work, uh, agreeing that that's what needs to be done, and let Him begin to, to form some new ruts in our lives. But here's some bad news, good news. The bad news is you can't do this. You don't have within yourself the ability to renew your mind the way God says. Good news is God can't. No matter how long you've been thinking that way, no matter how long you've been doing that thing, no matter how long it's been or how, God can reprogram. God can renew your mind. And he wants to. He desires to. He wants you to know his will and to know the right way. This is God's plan for you. And, and even like we said, remember I, I said that first word, conform, that phrase was passive. It's something that's done to you. Well, the word transform is in the same tense. It's something that God does to you. It's something that you allow him to work, and he does the change in your life. Go back to that 2 Corinthians again. And we all, being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I read this paraphrase this week from this verse. As God's Spirit works within us, 
we are being transformed to become more like Christ. This change from one degree of glory to another comes from the Lord. You can't do this, but God can and he wants to and he will as you allow his work in your life. Our job is to cooperate with the spirit as he moves, as he convicts, as he tells us, as he shows us a new direction, as he identifies areas. We cooperate, we go that direction, we, let, we lean into what he's telling us, we begin to let him change our values for him and it's about what we're feeding into our minds. It's about making the a choice to let his spirit be the thing that, that is directing what we do and what we, we think. But with that, this is a process. I also want to give just a, a word of warning, a, a word of caution, if you would, and that is that it is possible, and it happens a lot in, in spiritual religious uh, terms, and that is we take this idea and we get to a point where we think that we are the ones doing the reforming that we're the ones that are going to change the way it happens. We, we maybe know intuitively that God does the work, but there's something, it's, so it's, I've got to change my behavior. I've got, to, I've got to have this modification of my behavior. And here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to make me a list of all the things I'm going to do and I'm not going to do. I'm going to make this list. And in fact, I'm not just going to keep it. I'm going to share this list with you because I think you need to be doing the same things that I do or don't do. And if you can check this off, then you're a spiritual person that's really growing. And that's what we would call legalism. It's the idea of thinking that me changing my behavior is going to make me transformed. But is that what Paul said? Here you go. Transformed by the renewing of your behavior. Is that what Paul said? He said transformed by the renewing of your minds. So here's what we know. It is a process, but by definition, renewing your mind is an internal process. It's inward. It's something that is happening from the inside out. We've already said it's God's spirit doing that work, changing you inside. Here's what we know. Philippians, Paul said, for it is God who works in you. And he goes on to say both to will, that means to desire, and to work for his good pleasure. God's working in you to give you the desire to want to please him and then giving you the ability to please him. It's an inward work that God is doing in, in, in our lives as believers. You see, I think it was pointed out to me that, that this idea of renewing your mind is probably one way Paul was combating those who were debating him on some of the things he had taught in chapters 1 through 11. Because he really said some revolutionary thoughts in those chapters, whether you realize or not, because he, he made this phrase a couple of times, uh, I'm not, we're not under law, but we're under grace. It's not about obeying the law that's going to make you right with God or going to make you more spirit. It's not obeying the, the commands that's going to make you that way. It's not, it's grace. But see, there were those who were, that, that just immediately, red flags are popping up and they're looking and they're saying, well, if we don't have the law, if we're not following the law, then how are we going to know how to please God? How are we going to know what path to take? How, how are we going to know what's moral and what's not if we don't have a list of rules? And, he, and here's what Paul's saying. It, it, it comes because God is working in you. How do we know we're going to do the right thing? Because the Spirit of God is transforming us from the inside out. It's about God doing his work in us that makes a difference. It's, it's, it's what a great alternative to keeping the commands because here's the problem. You're never going to have enough commands. It, once you get one command, you're going to have to have another command to help you with that command, and you're going to have a whole subset of commands, and you're going to turn the Ten Commandments into a 600 volumes that the Jews had and the Pharisees had in their life. You, got, you, you, you can never have enough commands to be able to do everything you need to do. There's going to be another one. The alternative is, and, and we also know, not only do you need more commands, but there's always a loophole to every command. Well, you said this, but you didn't say, right? There's always a loophole, and why not let God change the way you think? So now you're not basing it on whether I've got my list memorized, but I'm just allowing God changing the way I think so that I know what I'm doing is pleasing to him. Renewing of your minds. It is an internal process. Go back to 2 Corinthians 3 one more time, that same verse, verse 18, because I've purposely left out a little phrase that I want you to see. And we all, here's the phrase I left out, who with unveiled faces, contemplate, or your version may say, behold, or reflect on the Lord's glory. We are the ones being transformed into his image with an ever-increasing glory. 
it's we, not only are born in, into, his, into his family, but we're contemplating, we're reflecting, we're looking into the person, focusing our attention on God, and that's what's transforming us. It's who he is and what he's doing in our life that's actually making the difference. Now, again, I, I'm not going to give you... Uh, a magic pill here, but I want to share with you three phrases. If you want to, some best practices, you want to see renewing of your mind take place on a regular basis, let me give you some, some thoughts that we've learned from these scriptures that are imperative that we make sure are part of our life. First one we'll call is this, complete surrender or absolute commitment. And to do that, I take you back to the first verse we read today, and we're going to dive into this verse more next week. But look what he says. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Before you get to not conforming and transforming, he says, here's what you need to do with, with you, is you need to give it all to God. And, and by the wording he uses, that your whole bodies, that means every faculty, every piece of your body, including every faculty of your brain, your thinking, all of it surrendered to God, placed in his care. That means that you've opened every closet door and said, God, here, here's everything. He sees it anyway, but you're, you're personally doing that. And you're saying, God, in everything I have, it's, it's, all, it's all open game. You have total access. You have all of me. And ultimately, it comes back to him calling the shots. It's the idea of, of I, I've mentioned this idea once or twice already, the idea of driving versus being a passenger. Does anybody else in the room or watching feel like I do that you're not always comfortable when someone else is driving? You would rather be behind the wheel? Yeah, you get that? Yeah, well, that, that's a great, a very smart group that we're talking about here. Because here's the thing, you, I, you may be a great driver, but I'm better. I just know that, right? I just know that, that I'm a better driver than anybody else. And I just, it, but here's the issue, let's be honest. It's being in control. Now, I know when you're, no matter what you're doing, when you're driving a car, you're not in true control, but there's something about feeling that wheel knowing I can adjust the speed that I feel like I'm in charge and that makes me feel better. So do you know what, what we're talking about, complete surrender? We're talking about, to, to quote the great theologian Carrie Underwood, Jesus, take the wheel, right? We're saying, God, I let go of control. Complete surrender is, God, here's all of me and I'll do whatever you want me to do. That's how we start this whole process of renewing our minds is we start with God, you have all of me. I'm, I'm letting you be in control. Here's another thought I would add, and that is deliberate focus. What are you thinking about as you're going through your day? Here's what is the absolute fact. We all know that. Everyone in this room, everyone watching, pretty much you're going to spend at least 50, 60 hours a week in the world, being influenced by the pattern of the world. You're gonna, you live there. You make a living there, you go to school there, wherever. That's the influence that's around you. Now, what we know is, and this is very true, we, can, we don't have to separate the two. It's really possible because we're supposed to glorify God in all we do, that we can turn our work into worship and we can truly be living even every day, every moment. And, and that's what we're talking about is focusing so that every part of our life is focused. What are you deliberately spending your time thinking about? But what about your discretionary time, the times you're not on the clock? Where is your mind going? The point of this is taking the, the, the idea of God what do you want from this? What, do you, what would you do in this situation? What do you want me to do in this situation? Look at Romans chapter 8. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the flesh desires. But those who live according accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Did you see that? Where is your mind set? What does God want in this point in your life? with this relationship, with this decision, with this time? Of, where is your mind set? What does God want? Colossians chapter 3, since we are raised with Christ, set your heart on things above, not on earthly things. What is your deliberate focus? What can I do this week to deliberately say, God, I want to focus my attention throughout my life on you? And this last thought that I have kind of helps bring that to, to bear, and that is by growing in our understanding of God's word. You see, we've talked about the, the pattern of this world is basically from the father of lies. It's not true. 
They can, from the very beginning, Satan has told lies from Adam and Eve on. It's all been this, he's the father of those lies. And he wants, so how are you ever going to combat those kind of lies? Well, you've got to have truth. Well, well, folks, here's what I want you to make sure you understand. You have truth. Right here, you, you have the ability to hold it in your hand. You can pull it up on your computers. You have truth from God. You have what God wants you to know as truth, and it's growing in that knowledge. It's growing in that understanding. Paul told his friend Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 about some folks who were struggling within church he was working with, and he told them that you need to be leading them, he said, into the knowledge of the truth, and that's what, that's what we're here to do, leading them in that knowledge of the truth. But notice how he describes it, uh, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Now think about it. We talk about God's will and being wanting what's best for us. Do you realize that when there's not, we're not having, we don't have neutral ground here. If you're conformed or you're transformed, if you're conformed, you're doing the will of the enemy. You're doing the will of the devil who wants to destroy you or transformed. You can find God's will and be doing what he has for you. But it's one or the other. You're, going, you're, you're under one or the other description, but the whole difference is the knowledge of the truth, knowing what is true. Matthew chapter 4 describes Jesus when he was tempted by Satan face to face. Satan gave him three specific temptations, and Jesus responded three times with one thing. He quoted the Bible. He quoted the Old Testament. He quoted his father. The devil said, do this. He said, well, here's what my father says to do. Here's what the Bible says to do. Here's what I'm challenging us as Christians is to let this word of God be more and more that kind of a resource for us. Psalm 119, David said, I, will, I have hidden the word of God or hidden his word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I'm hiding the word so I won't. Here's the point. Christians, you have truth. You don't have to be conformed to the pattern of this world because you have truth to defeat it. But that's never going to happen if you, don't, if you don't know it, if you've not hidden it. This isn't a matter of guilt saying, oh, I need to read my Bible more. This is just reality. Do we want to be transformed in our thinking? Truth has got to become more and more a part of us. And it's more than hearing a truthful sermon on a Sunday or in a podcast or however you... It's about you personally knowing this truth and applying it personally to your area of life. You identify some areas that you're struggling in, and you're going to find that the Bible will speak somehow to the principle of that particular thing. You learn it, you hide it, you get it to a place where you're, you say, well, I don't read very well. The point is this, you, if you want truth to take over the lies, you're going to have to get this into your system then, and then to take it in, and I'll use, the, I'll use the word. You're going to need to memorize it. Oh, some of you go, I can't memorize. Throws me out of the, you, you can, you do. You memorize numbers, you memorize names. Some of you not too well, but you do memorize some names. You, get, you can memorize. Here's what I would challenge you, Christians. If, if you will, and I can, I can almost guarantee this. I don't know you completely, but I can almost guarantee that if you'll take one verse of Scripture, and you go home this afternoon and you write out that scripture 10 times. And then tomorrow morning you get up and you write out the same scripture 10 more times. And Tuesday you write it out 10 more times. By the time you get to next Sunday, I can almost promise you with the lollipop I'll have in my pocket that you can memorize that scripture. You say, well, that's a lot of work. Do you want truth to transform your life? Then let God's word identify the areas Find the scriptures that you having trouble loving somebody that's kind of hard to love. Let me take you to 1 Corinthians 13. You start talking about what love is. So when the enemy says, oh, they're not lovable, I can't love, you say, well, but what God says is love is patient, love is kind, love is, and now you're fighting the enemy with truth, not your own opinions, not your own willpower. You're facing with truth. You have trouble with anger? Ephesians chapter 4, 26, you go to there and you, the, the enemy says, it's okay to get angry or you're never going to stop being angry. You say, well, wait a second. God says that I can control this thing. And here's the verse that describes it to me. And you declare that truth to God. Do you understand that's how practical God's word can truly be if you allow it to be that in, in your life? I, I heard this, this thought this week and it made so much sense to me. Maybe it'll help you. If you're on an airplane you ever been, nowadays especially, they have onboard computers that pretty much do everything, right? They tell you where you are. They tell you how to get there, their speed, all those things are on, the, on a computer. 
But what was pointed out to me was, so why, if the computer is so good, why do all air, airports still have runway lights? If those computers are so good, what do you need the lights for? And it was explained that those lights just become a way for the pilot to test the information that he's received and, just, and to make sure that he's interpreting it correctly and he'll know because he can see the lights. Do you understand that's what God's word is? If you're a follower of Christ, you have an onboard computer. It's called the Holy Spirit. He lives within you. He's teaching you. He's training you. But you're not perfect yet. And your mind's going to misinterpret some things. And you're going to hear some things. And you're going to have to. And, and so what do you do? You take your, your landing lights. And you make sure that it goes with what God's word said. Because the Holy Spirit would never direct you to do something that goes in opposition to God's word. So you'd use this as your landing lights. And you can know what God has told you to do. Because he, it's that important to him. We know that just renewing of your mind is a process. We know it's an internal process, but this internal process has external results. It has external outcomes. It, ha- it affects in an external way. Remember, transformed, transfigured, the light shines. As God transforms your life, it will become a, a visible part of who you are. Go back to Romans 12. Let's wrap it up. Then you will be able to test and approve, to be able to discern what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The New Living says it this way, then you will know what God wants you to do and you will know how, uh, how good and pleasing and perfect his will really is. You'll know what you are made for. You'll know what is true and what can be done and you'll begin to do that as you allow him to transform. Your, the, the will of God becomes then your, your next path. If a friend tells you to jump off a bridge like we started off, hopefully you will not conform. But what if God tells you to step out in faith? Get out of the boat and walk on the water. What if God, if if you're transformed, then you'll know what God's plan is. And you're going to be able to do some things that God has in mind for you that you could never decide on your own because God's will, then you know it because your mind is renewed. It's transformed. You're thinking the way God wants you to to think. Philippians 2.15, Paul says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. You hold on to that word that's renewing you and transforming you. And ultimately that's, that's that picture of transfigured. Then the light shines out from you to, to your world and to the world around you that needs to see Jesus kind of what Jesus said. You're the light of the world, so let it shine, right? You're, being, you're transformed or you're being transformed. All of those being transformed are those who make a difference in this world. That's what God wants to do in your life. Let's use these words in Colossians, kind of summarize what we've talked about. Colossians 3, 9, you have taken off your old self with its practices. You've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and in the image of its creator. The word transformed is what we'll be looking at for the next few weeks. And transformed by definition is living life in a new way, in a renewed way. Living life daily in this renewal. We're going to talk over the next few weeks of of having a renewed version of our worship, a renewed idea of serving, a renewed idea of, of how to treat others that disagree with us. We're renewing our minds and we're living a renewed style of life. That's what God do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can know God's good, pleasing, and perfect will for you. Here's what I want to do today, something a little different. I, I, like you with your outline, just drop down a little bit on that info card to the part we call our next steps. I want to point out a couple today as we wrap this up. The first one is always on there in some form, and it's, it's the most critical. And that simply says your next step may simply to receive God's gift of eternal life by accepting the gospel of Christ personally. Have you done that? Do you know that your sins are forgiven, that you've, you, you know you're a sinner and you realize Jesus died and rose again for you and you received his gift of forgiveness? Have you done that? If not, the most important question you'll answer today is, Will you do that? Would you, he's giving you an invitation. Will you accept it? 
If that's where you are, then that's my prayer for you today. If you've already done that, you know him personally, then let me challenge you with these next two steps. Number one, confront a worldly pattern in your life with the truth of God's word. What's an, an area that you've identified or maybe God's identifying or you spend some time and let him identify an area that needs to be transformed in your life. And whatever that area is, whether it's a, a, a thought, an attitude, an, a, an addiction, whatever it is, God, what, and find the scripture that, can, that you could use to help to speak to that, to speak into that so that you can begin to use it. Would you allow God's word to confront an issue in your life? Say, I don't know where that is. Well, there are resources you can use and you're welcome to email me and I'd be glad to give you some verses, but something you could talk that would just help you work through to see God transform this area of your life. That's number one. And second, Christians, is begin each day this week by focusing on a specific verse from the scriptures. To start your day off with renewing your mind through truth. Just to, and, and I would challenge you, you've got, there's a lot of verses we took covered today. Take one of those and let, let, maybe use the same one every day, maybe a different one for each day. I don't, I don't care. Just take a verse, start your day with that. Think about it, meditate on it, not just read it. Put it somewhere where you're gonna think, what does that say? How can that change my life? How can I apply that today? Make that, start your day with it and let that be what you think about through this day or throughout this week. Would you just take the time to see if God's word can be what he said it would be, to truly change, transform your life. Let's bow our heads together today. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I challenge you to take these next few seconds and word some of what we've said today in a prayer to the Lord of, of what you need in your life. If you've not yet received Christ as Savior, I would invite you right where you're seated to just call out to him, God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died and rose for me. Please save me. Forgive me. I want to follow you with my life. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for what you've told us. Thank you that there is a promise of knowing your will and what you want us to do and knowing what's best for our lives. And you begin that with, do not conform yourself to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. God, let us start right there today. If there's one that needs salvation, please draw them to yourself. Let them know this is what they need, is a relationship with you. And for those that know you, God, help us to take the time this week to let your word truly do what it's meant to do, to change us, to renew us, to transform us in very specific areas in our life. Help us, God. I'll give you a few seconds with our heads bowed and eyes closed just to word those thoughts to the Lord in prayer. Take some time to accept the challenge and say, God, help me to identify and to confront these issues with your word. Let's just commit our time and our week to the Lord in prayer.